0: No Direction's Gen Con 2019 seminar coverage is brought to you by Roll for Combat's new Fall of Plagestone Pathfinder 2E actual play podcast. Featuring Stephen Glicker, Jason McDonald, Rob Tremarco, and No Direction's own Lauren Sig and Vanessa Hoskins. Find it and other Pathfinder and Starfinder podcasts, interviews, and reviews at rollforcombat.com. No Direction presents our Gen Con 2019 seminar coverage in partnership with Pazzo. We'd like to thank our seminar team, Lauren Sieg, James Ballad, Vanessa Hoskins, and me, Jefferson J. Thacker, also known as Perrin. We'd also like to thank Peyton Smith from Paizo for helping getting this produced. This content and more great seminar coverage, as well as Pathfinder and Starfinder content, is available at nodirectionpodcast.com.
1: Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Leo Glass, uh, I'm an editor at Paizo. Uh, if you're here for setting your scene, you're in the right spot. Um, we just wanted to kind of start and open the panel with some introductions, so I'll, I'll let my fellow panelists
2: uh, introduce themselves. Hello everybody, I'm Patrick Greeny, developer at Paizo, I work on the Adventure Path line.
3: Uh, hello, I'm Eleanor Farron. I work on the World Guide line.
1: So, really what we wanted out of this conversation, it was, first we'll maybe talk a little bit about what we think setting is, what we think scene is, and how it interfaces with what we do um, in the games industry, and specifically working on uh, products like Pathfinder and Starfinder, um, and working in Galarian and the Pac-World setting, and and what that really looks like. But we also really wanted to tailor this kind of to our audience, and so please feel free to Kind of participate. We're only going to talk hopefully for about 20 minutes, and then we would really would like to just kind of have more of an informal question and answer after that point and really give you what you want um, out of the session. So just show of hands, who's here or kind of came here from the perspective of I'm a GM or, uh, or someone who's trying to understand better how to use setting in my games that I run? Okay, who who, I think I know the answer to this one who who sort of came here with the understanding of hey I want to learn how to use setting as a writer or a creator um, of games or games industry products Okay, and it's okay to raise your hand twice like that's I, I would raise my hand twice to those questions Okay, how about another reason? Is there another reason why you're here? Okay, cool. All right, well, seeing that, we'll probably tailor this pretty heavy um, to how to utilize your setting uh, as a a GM. But if you have questions about what it looks like on the creativity side, please um, feel free. So then, uh, Patrick and Eleanor. yeah, yeah, as as uh, from a GM perspective, um, what what is uh, setting or what is seen you well, about your perspective? Great
2: question, Leo. I mean, there is a reason both those words are in the title of this panel. Uh, <laughs> so setting, you know, as I see it is uh, is very much the tone of the piece, right? That's the tone you're trying to set, whereas the scene is the action. You know, you can have the same scene. You can have the same exact action. You can have three panelists talking up here at you. And if we were to dim the lights, open the door, let some rolling fog in or something like that it would be a very different setting so uh when I think of setting the scene you know you try and think of what's the atmosphere I want to create what's the tone what's the mood um you know what emotions do I want to evoke with this action yeah um the same exact action can evoke very different emotions depending on how you deliver it so that's uh kind of what we're here to talk about what do you think Eleanor
3: uh, yeah there's um I guess you can sort of consider it on a macro and micro scale, mm. the uh, setting being the macro, the scene being the micro, uh, setting, therefore, being uh, just sort of the trappings and uh, telling the story of the world through uh, the flavors and pictures and buildings that you see there, whereas the scene is things you can interact with immediately. Mm.
2: It's, yeah, it's a little bit show and tell, but you know, mostly show, right? You always want to be evoking images that evoke the emotions. You never want to say, "Oh, you're very afraid." You know, it's like, okay, I'm not. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, and for and for me, I think both as an editor and a GM, honestly, like. I tend to want to overstuff my both of those, like my settings and my scenes, because I get a lot of good ideas. I'm kind of an ideator, and I will just kind of word vomit onto a page, uh, and then I look at it and I'm like, wow, so that's a lot of detail. But are they details that that really show or do something? Do they hold weight, um, or or can they be used to drive? Like, can you use setting to to drive the scene, mm-hmm. so to speak? And so one of the things that I, I think I, I read, um, actually it was in a, a course I took on RPG design this last month over over July, an online course I took It was really if you can pick one crucial detail that can help drive um, the the action of the pcs and games, you know so um, if everything smells like buttered popcorn in the movie theater. You know it's okay, that's expected um, but if it, it if it smells like um, you know uh, rancid bile, um, that might do something else, or if it smells like uh, roses, um, that might do something else and so and if you interface that with the creatures you set there with the things that are going on. Um, then you're drawing connections that the players can kind of latch onto, I think, and, and dig into. But how about you all what so like maybe throw some challenges out there. as far as setting scene goes, what challenges do you think you face um, from knowing what to include in, in your scenes and your games and your setting? Help me
2: out. Come on. It's a complex question.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> Just. <laughs> they didn't come here have. for an essay. Mm-hmm. All right. Very right. <laughs> We can keep, keep. Well, I think the popcorn is a good example, right? Because if it's burnt popcorn, that signals something to the reader, player, yeah. uh, viewer, uh, versus, you know, oh, the, it smells super buttery in here. It's like, well, someone there must be the new person on the job. If it smells burnt, it uh, could be the new person, or it could be someone left the machine on and they're gone, uh, you know. Uh, The, I think omission is just as important as addition when you're setting a scene. And I I think that's what kind of you're saying, Leo, is so when you're framing a photo, for instance, you know, when you're, you're doing this with your phone and stuff, you're one thing to, to always be looking for is like, oh, what are the distracting background elements? What do I, oh, there's a person, you know, one thing that always happens is there's always a pole, a flagpole or something like that behind a person It looks like they're sticking out of their head in uh, the photo. So you remove that, you change your angle a bit. Um, right. Same with setting the scene. You you remove the distracting elements, you hone in on the one detail. You uh, olfactory sense is a great sense to play on because it evokes memory very powerfully for a lot of people. Um, it's also a very difficult, uh, uh, setting because you can't describe a smell very well. You say, "Well, it smells like popcorn." It's like, "Okay, my popcorn is it your popcorn?" I don't know. I, I'm I'm an Ordenville Bacher kind of guy. You know, right? Are you uh, yeah yeah. Mine's unsalted. Um, right? Are sure. you an Act Two kind of person? Yeah, I don't know. So, you know, maybe that's that's another detail you could provide though. Um, I guess. Uh, yeah. So,
3: Question. So, so building on the popcorn, so you say, you know, it kind of smells like popcorn is in urine or popcorn in garbage. Mm.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. it. It would smell like great popcorn and nothing else if it was a good theater, right? Or you know, smell like popcorn and fancy brandy or something like that. Totally different than popcorn and urine. Yeah. And that and, well, <laughs> well, and, and, that, and that
1: description made me think something maybe a little little bit more noir or mm-hmm. spy like, totally. right? Like if you go that way. But if you're if you've got if you're running a horror game or writing a horror piece, then you know think about all the yeah yeah right yeah. yeah.
3: So, uh, and certainly, uh, going back to what Leo said before, uh, you can stuff too many details in the scene, yeah. and uh, you can also overemphasize details. I think I've seen like a picture online of the common uh, GM issue of. Uh, the Putting the one object in the room that everybody investigates, and it's just a picture of these chickens pecking at this bright <laughs> red, like, faucet handle. Um, and you want to avoid that. So when you go into setting the scene, I think you want to consider interactivity above all else. Um, you either want to foreshadow something that's going to come up that will be important for the PCs in the future, or you want to... Uh, show the PCs something they can interact with now. So maybe there are curtains in the movie theater that they can open and close, depending on that. That's an interactive thing. Maybe they'll do something with that. Maybe they won't. Uh, Maybe there's a chandelier up in the fancy theater, and they want to drop that on somebody. If there's a chandelier, PCs will want to drop it on somebody. (laughs) But that's the sort of thing to think about when you're telling them what's in there. Uh, You don't need extraneous details. You just want the things that stick out the most, that either alert them that something is not what they expect, or that something may come up in the future, or that they can interact with a certain object to either accomplish a goal or just to have fun with it.
2: That's a really good point about the curtain and the chandelier. I mean, and the more you describe something, the more it's going to make players think that's the thing, right? And uh, whether or not you're playing that way, whether or not you're, you know, kind of letting it open and being like, well, you tell me what's the thing, or they're, you know, they're expecting you to, you know, guide them that way. Um, you know, if you say the curtains are deep red and slightly fluttering, you know, they're obviously going to inspect them. Whereas if you say if there's 100 seats in the auditorium, they're probably not going to, you know, they're just going to be like, yeah, that's an auditorium. Um you
1: know. Well, and so we we did this panel also at PaizoCon and one of the things that we were sort of talking about there that this sort of reminded me of is that you can really sort of influence the the type of game you're running in very subtle ways with what's in a room even, right? So if uh, the PCs go down into a, uh, a cavernous lair, let's let's say the bottom of a, a castle, a dungeon, they go down in the dungeon and they discover jewels. Okay, if they discover jewels that taste like apples, well, that tells you something else, right? There's probably a transmuter somewhere about where something weird is going on or magic is somehow involved or, um, you know, uh, 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 jewels that, that bleed. Now, to back to a horror setting we've gone Uh, In a different direction, but what did I do? I just changed a couple words with each sentence, and I've changed a little bit of the tone and the feeling and so um, And I've I've raised a few questions in each of those those statements And so that's honestly that's what I think setting does the best that scene gives sort of compliments is that setting sort of asks questions and then the scene or the action which is often driven by the PCs Mm -hmm. in a game are their attempts at answering
2: absolutely yeah Uh, yeah I mean uh, kind of taking it to a more meta level you know uh, when you set the lights low and put on some spooky music and put on a fog machine and all that stuff uh, put up some glow-in-the-dark stars on your ceiling you know you're uh, asking the PCs you're asking your players to Kind of inherit a certain feeling you're asking them to play with you in that way you're saying you're asking them to to think about like well, why are there stars um you know uh, and uh, I think you know what you do in the The real world especially at the table is just as important and that's what separates you know board games from video games from other media is that you're creating a physical three-dimensional scene whether or not it's a dinner party whether or not it's just hanging out at the table whether or not it's one of those um you know puzzle rooms or something like that you're uh, creating these you know things out of real materials that you're having your players kind of interact with so that they can use that to uh, flavor how their characters interact with your fictional world
3: you um when starting to set the scene uh, just because of what Patrick said about setting the mood it's it's helpful to ask yourself uh, what do you want your players to feel when they enter this area um, Certainly, uh, in one of the uh, Starfinder adventure paths I wrote, there was an area where uh, the whole point of that was to feel just uncomfortable and unwelcome. And I didn't need to have any of the NPCs sell that. I just thought about, well, what's the most uncomfortable atmosphere I could put in there? And thought of all the senses that we have and just pick out what I think were like the strongest uh, impressions that I could convey in a short uh, few sentences. Like uh, you know, a really strong smell of metal and nickel, and like a really muggy, oppressive, hot atmosphere. Um, one piece of advice that uh, I also recently heard on a uh, let's play podcast of uh, that particular adventure is that uh, most games aren't high literature, uh, even if we want them to be. So don't be afraid <laughs> to you know step out of character. Uh, maybe just like tell your players, it's like, oh, have you ever been outside on like a really muggy day in the deep south, and that's what you're feeling now? Or you know, bring up, oh, have you ever? Uh, how do you feel about like the Mos Eisley Cantina from Star Wars? That sort of thing. <laughs> um, I, like just engage your players, even outside of the scene you're trying to set. Uh, because these are media shortcuts to sort of get across what you're trying to convey, and a lot of times they can express a lot more in a lot less words and uh, save everyone's attention span for what they're really here for.
1: That's a that's a really good thought. That kind of made me realize that I think for me, when I'm setting scene, uh, setting my scene as a GM, I often just think about how relatable something is to. Um, and I mean, especially with, so I run a lot of Starfinder, and when you're when you're setting a scene on an alien world, like, yes, it's cool sometimes to just go, how weird can I make this? But if it's unrelatable, if the, the players, uh, not only the, the characters, but the, the players don't have an, a, a locus or a place to sort of relate to that from, like when you were talking about how muggy it is, that's easy for me to go, oh, wow, you yeah, know, like... I mean, I'm here in Indiana, and it's hot, and it's, you know, um, I, I can easily, like, summon that feeling. Um, but if, if if you're like you've, and I, I read this sometimes as as an editor, you know, you felt your mind twist in, in six mm-hmm. different ways. It's like, well, that's good, but, you know, is there something that is maybe more relatable than that? Because I don't know what it's like to have my mind torn apart and say, well, maybe I do <laughs> right. editing some editing stuff enough, sometimes, yeah. but yeah. Um, but no, I, yeah. So I don't know. To me, I think there's an aspect of relatability
2: to it too well unless that's the intention right because uh sure. cthulhu and lovecraftian horror are not my cup of tea particularly but sure. uh be- because of kind of what you're saying is he's always talking about this unfathomable darkness this you know this monster they gaze upon and uh and suddenly their minds are warped and they uh they know nothing anymore you know they've seen the truth and uh, it's like okay um i'm definitely confused which is probably what he's going for uh mm-hmm. and i'm definitely like this is a, an alien world, unfathom, it's unfathomable because I can't fathom these feelings. Um, so it achieves the effect uh, that I think Lovecraft was probably going yeah, for. Sure, you know, but that's that's something to keep in mind. Do you want to achieve that effect, that bewildering, that I don't know how to relate to this? I'm I'm a fish out of water kind of feeling, or do you want them to be like, oh, this is like when I'm spending time with my nana? Um, mm-hmm. You know, completely different. Uh, yeah. Where do y'all draw inspiration from, scene
1: wise, when you're working as developers? Like, do you you feel like you get it from movies, other products, from books, from your own imagination? Like, what scenes do you feel like inspire you a lot working in fantasy?
2: Movies. I love movies. Yeah, tvtropes.org. Go to that website and steal the ideas. They've already been, everything's been written. Uh, All you have to do is puzzle it together. Um, For real, though. I, I love going on, like... Uh, looking up movies that I've seen or whatever and then seeing related movies, you know If I want to do a kind of heist mission or a break-in as a good example for the PC's if I'm like, okay There's a bank robbery going on you got to get in then I'll go watch die hard and I'll be like well What can we Oh, Well, they got to go through a ventilation shaft, right? There's got to be broken glass um, You know those things set the scene. There's chaos. There's danger There's probably, you know people whimpering somewhere or something or you know if I want to do a more lighthearted one Let's just give that a try um, then I would watch a comedy movie you know another example is uh, uh, the uh, well let's see uh, Eleanor talked about her writing a little bit earlier I'll, I'll plug my own book um, when I wrote the first issue of giant slayer a couple of years ago uh, the the setup the the main crux of the, the the adventure is that there's a murder mystery. It's like who done it? Somebody got murdered, and you're trying to figure out who it is. Before that, although, uh, is the uh, it's a, a festival. People are having fun. It's kind of like burnt offerings if you ever played the first the very first Pathfinder. It's like everything starts out great, and that creates a beautiful contrast to the uh, mayhem that lies in wait. Right. So if it started in the middle of things, which is also a very good way of doing things, you know the players are instantly. Um, you know, instantly, oh, frenzy, chaos, like action happening, goblins attacking everywhere. But if you set it up firsthand, well, well, you go to the food stand. What do you eat first? You know, you want some elk, you want some like meat pie, whatever. Then they're then they're in this certain mood. They have a little bit more investment. They're like, oh, it's going to be a happy time. Oh, it's not a happy time. Uh, you know, that creates a more um, That creates a stronger feeling. It creates kind of a yo-yo effect, whereas if you just start with an unhappy feeling, um, it kind of forces the players to to be a little more imaginative and and doesn't give them as much of a, a leg up.
3: Uh, Yeah, I definitely like to look at uh, just images, pictures, videos, movies, that sort of thing, uh, just to get a sense of, well, what am I looking at? Because if I don't know what I'm looking at, I'm not going to describe it very well. Yeah, Uh, yeah. Like, just what are the little details that stand out to me that can make this place feel like more than just uh, a, a Lego set piece that I dropped down and completely generic, Then nothing interesting about it. And once I nail that down, just start to think about what might make sense to be in that area and what of those things that make sense the PCs might be interacting with. Is there like some kind of, uh, if we're saying like a souk in like a Middle Eastern style, uh, maybe there's like a, one of those those marketplaces that has like those huge piles of spices in all sorts of colors. And, you know, maybe somebody throws that at the PCs. Maybe the PCs throw that at somebody. Maybe somebody's allergic to uh, cardamom or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, uh, whenever I am thinking of, like, a specific scene or... Problem that the PCs face. I like to just do research on the news and reality because it's usually weirder than anything I can come up with, um, (laughs) honestly. And and I think you'll find that if you set the scene just like um, logically, it will trip your players up more often than not. (laughs) Uh, Like um, going back to the Starfinder IPA wrote, uh, I did have. Just like an area in a monster lair that was just like this blood-covered and smeared pile of trash. And of course they go digging through it for treasure, because that's what PCs do. <laughs> but, um, you know, if you do that in my module, you get exposed to disease. And I think uh, one of the PCs that did that was like, why did I do that? What? <laughs> right. who, who in their right minds goes digging through a blood-stained pile of trash looking for treasure? But that's what PCs do, and, you know, just... Just consider the logical repercussions of certain behaviors to help set your scene, and I think you'll have some good results.
1: Well, and that's really tying the mechanics to the scene in an interesting way, too, of like, hey, I can totally just inflict a disease right Mm -hmm. now, and I've got an opportunity to to use those rules, Mm -hmm. and that's all driven by the scene. You know,
2: so and as long as you're consistent, it's okay, you know, like if, if you do that one time, uh, you know, there's a trash pile they get a disease, you know, then there better be another disease behind another trash pile, otherwise they will feel uh, a little duped. But um but yeah, I think you're right. It's interesting that uh RPGs, especially like tabletop games, have this level of uh players are willing to uh forego logic in a lot of ways like like you're saying why would why would anyone dig through a pile of trash like there's probably not treasure at the bottom but in an rpg maybe there is and uh and it goes back to why would you describe it unless it was important right um, and you described it to you know have a little fun with the pcs <laughs> right and uh you know yeah, everyone, there was treasure yeah well <laughs> the, there you go yeah so it's all worth it and you know uh and then the rest of that game the the player has to walk around with muck all over them and that certainly doesn't hurt the scene that that makes the scene even more fun sure
3: uh, certainly I think you can feel like you've succeeded at setting the scene if you like have a PC actually refuse to do something just because of the way you describe something I know like one time uh, one of the the players just like opened the door and it was pouring rain <laughs> and uh, uh, somewhat unusually he decided that yeah you know, I'm not going out in that and just shut the door and left
1: <laughs> I think one of the at least at Paizo, one of the absolute masters of what we're talking about that I've read as I've edited their work is Ron Lundin, mm. personally, because uh, reading, um, I think it was Dead Roads in the the Tyrant's Grasp AP, but um, kind of what you're talking about, Eleanor, where like you you know you kind of knew what you wanted to do with with the logical aspect of this this trash pile. There's a painting in that AP. That just does a lot of good work in that it's an interesting focal point for the room so it immediately and it sort of makes the room seem creepy and weird then as you go up the stairs the painting starts talking to you so it's now also sort of a quest giver it ends up being a puzzle um, and sort of also a trap hmm. and so in that way that one that that one piece of set, setting not only drives the scene to your point mm-hmm. earlier about but but um, does a lot of work in the economy of the story and that's, those are the types of set pieces that I think in games writing work the best and does
2: so efficiently yeah you have one painting you know um, yeah. it's kind of like uh, I think you were talking about Eleanor like that the painting that uh, or was it really, there was a painting that really distracted players right they, they couldn't focus yeah. on anything but that one painting even though it had nothing to do with it but you know that's a great idea and if you as the GM have a picture up on your monitor or whatever I like to play with like a monitor and have a picture up or something that evokes the image then that's even better because they can look at it and look at it while you're talking Um, You know, I think uh, like you were saying earlier, like looking at art, watching movies, watching TV, um, you know, the more you study those mediums, the more you can appreciate how much work and thought goes into each thing. Uh, You know, if you dabble into film theory or art theory at all, you'll understand why. You know, certain colors evoke certain emotions, you know, blue in a movie is almost always a sad feeling, whereas red is more of a danger feeling, you know, yellow is sunshine happy. Um, You know, these colors also evoke the same feelings with players. And uh, the more you can kind of research these things, appreciate critical theory, appreciate uh, the artistry behind your favorite media. If you have a favorite movie, watch it and think about, you know, why, why did they do it like this? One of my favorite movies is Mad Max, Fury Road, I will say it on every panel. <laughs> uh, and Leo and um, but uh, and that movie is great because the director originally wanted to do it in black and white. And the producers were like, no, nobody's going to watch Mad Max if it's in black and white. You're not. This isn't an art film. And he's like, well, I'll prove you wrong. So what happens is when you go onto your TV and turn it down, turn the saturation down to black and white, the movie totally plays out perfectly the same. And it's because there's so much monochromatic Feeling in that movie, Uh, you know, it's bright and yellow and gold when they're in the middle of the day, it's dark and blue in the middle of the night, Uh, the solid colors, you know, when it's when it's in black and white, it feels kind of the same. It just feels dark or light. So.
1: They released a black and white edition. Uh huh. Yeah, black and too. chrome. And, yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, that's a powerful example, I think, of uh, color theory. Um, so, and, and limited color theory in that, just light and dark. When you have only two colors, black and white, uh, you, you use them very well and efficiently if you're trying to create a tone.
3: Uh, with all that being said, now that we've totally hyped up uh, putting all of this thought and care and effort into uh, your your setting, maybe you don't have time for that. Maybe you have sure. like a life, social <laughs> obligations, <laughs> family, and about. <laughs> physical needs, like eating. Uh, so I wouldn't be afraid to use things like random item generators, random mm-hmm. treasure tables. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's something to be said for emergent storytelling. You don't necessarily have to go into the plot with anything more than well, there's a spooky vampire in this castle.
2: Well, <laughs> let the players direct your, if they're like, oh, this is spooky, or like, oh, what fun, you know, you're like, okay, well, they want to have fun now, let's, I'll, I'll lighten the mood up or whatever, right? You, you don't yes. know when you're doing random stuff. And yeah. then
3: if you put in just random objects, maybe your players will start forming their own story around mm-hmm. it, and you can just steal their ideas. Totally. Um, by which we mean validate their ideas, yes. <laughs> of course. That's right. Um, <laughs> But, but again, there's something to be said for our Emergent Storytelling. Um, we played a Dungeon Crawl Classics game where uh, you pretty much roll everything on a chart. If you played 2nd edition D&D and you think <laughs> it needed more charts, uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics is a great game for you. Um, and And we did wind up with some pretty consistent Emergent Storytelling, despite the fact that we basically randomly rolled everything. Uh, My brother's character wound up as an evil wizard, despite the fact that he totally didn't set out that way. Uh, Just wound up, though, all of his spells had horrible evil effects that randomly happened with them, and. Everyone was scared when he made potions just as a random, like, fear effect on his spells. And so we, we just built him a tower. We figured it, it's going that way. We may as well just double down on it. and And we sort of made up the story of somebody who really hated Nagas or maybe a Naga weapon maker that was really bad at their job because... Every weapon we found was a Naga-slaying weapon, and uh, we're not <laughs> sure what was up with that, but again, like that's the joy of emergent storytelling, is you come up with things that you never would have thought of, just sitting there and pondering on your own, yeah. and it can be a lot of fun that way.
2: Power of the group is very uh, it's interesting, right? I mean it's like an Ouija board, right? It has no mean spoiler, Ouija board is not real. But uh <laughs> but, you know, when you play with your friends, sometimes it's fun to you know, the group pushes it, you know, does I don't know, Daryl like me? Yes. And uh, you know, it's fun that way to to imagine as a group. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah, don't be afraid to let your PCs help you set the oh, scene. Yeah. yeah.
2: Well and
1: there's a lot of game systems too. Um, And I mean, you can do it in any game system, I think, that sort of allow some collaborative sort of scene building sometimes, too. Like, Mm -hmm. I've been running Blades in the Dark as an office game, and that usually begins with, so what do y'all think you see? Like, or, Mm -hmm. you know, hey, you're going down into, uh, so... If you don't know that game they all play like sort of evil folks and they're playing a cult and so they were going down into a bunch of graves to rob them so long story mm-hmm. but I was like so what do you think the crypt looks like and we just have a conversation about that and then that conversation leads to okay well this is what you see and I think that can apply to, to any game too where just engage your players and say you know uh, I think Elnor's right it doesn't have to be this this grand I'm going to sh- to show you all of these beautiful wonderful things
3: it doesn't have to be Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah. And, and if you want your campaign to end, it probably shouldn't be. <laughs>
1: That's a good note, I think, mm-hmm. to, to take a, a, a pause and, and, and end on uh, for some questions. Uh, hopefully, you all have some. So if you'd like to pick our brains. And, you know, if you want to talk about something else, we can do that too.
2: Yeah, Down to hang.
1: We're here to, we're here to answer your questions.
3: Yes, I was wondering, when do you guys feel that you've given too much? Because I feel sometimes when I'm uh, writing a scene or, or, or a session, I might give away too much and take away the imagination from the players. And then I'll be like, oh, well, I, I screwed up. Let me next time. And then I don't give them enough and they don't have enough to go on. Where's how do you find that that fine line between too much, and not enough? That's a good
2: question. Uh, that's a hard question. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
3: well, generally, if their eyes glaze over, you've gone too far. I think um, organized play likes to limit it. If you've gone past three paragraphs, like four is the absolute limit, you've gone too far. Uh, you've just they they've probably stopped paying attention, and you've probably just gotten a little too detailed into the scene. Um, definitely. Uh, You know you want to look at whatever is important in the room and make sure you get that in there so you, you don't have the same issue of them not having enough to go on uh certainly you know um interacting with the pcs like they can ask questions like sometimes they'll ask you know oh is there can i look under so and such for evidence of this or that and um if you can sort of tell that Maybe they're not getting what you set out to portray, then you can just use those questions to add in further details um, i'd say you know probably uh well definitely we we try to avoid the whole oh, I forgot to mention the blue dragon in the room um, but you once you 've nailed like the the notable things uh you can just sort of less is probably more and then. Yeah. Just interaction with the players, to bring out the rest of those details as necessary, would probably be my advice.
2: I think less is more is always a good... Yeah. yeah. Um. How do you
0: approach making travel or in making the scene of travel interesting and memorable, rather than just you go buy some mm. things?
2: Well, ask yourself, why Why do I want this scene of travel to be uh, memorable? You know, uh, Lord of the Rings is the quintessential example of a memorable journey. Uh, it's literally the entire film book, you know, trilogy is them going from place A to point B. Um, whereas other, you know, same with Mad Max. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> you know, other, other mediums, you know, you don't always say every, you know, um, There's lots of movies where it's like, oh, we're going to go check out that spooky house on the hill and then cut to they're on the hill. Um, You know, I think choosing which travel scenes you want to be memorable is um, is as important as getting to the point um you know one thing i do when i when we're going through the forest or whatever with a, a, a group of pcs or whatever is you know i'll just ask i'll say well we're about to head out what is what position do you guys take in the caravan um you know you're 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 guarding this monument uh or you're guarding this artifact that you're taking with you you know who's handling that uh kind of make sure everyone has a role and then basically just um you know play off of whatever they choose, and then uh just one sentence per per player is enough, really. Um, I think to make a memorable travel experience, I, like one of the best examples I can think of was, uh, feces were traveling with an NPC who was like just a, not a good camper. He was real bad at traveling. He was a cosmopolitan type and he brought like a bunch of canned, like canned meat with him on the trail and didn't know how to cook it. And so he just put the can on top of the fire and let it explode until the meat's everywhere. You know, and they, they remember that forever. They still talk about that because they're just like, man, remember that guy who just did not know how to camp. And, uh, so I think those, those kinds of camp scenes, you know, hone in on the exact moments. If you're thinking of a movie montage, for example, I uh, think of the funny moments when everyone's like, ah, uh, you know, playing with the champagne, like spraying each other or whatever, with the firehouse, I don't know, or whatever, um, a champagne fire. Hose? Yeah. <laughs> sign me up. Uh, nice. Sounds great. Yeah. Um,
3: certainly it would help. I mean, if you've traveled a lot, I, mm. I assume you got to Gen Con maybe by travel. I don't know if you're a local, but uh just think of what memorable travel incidents you've had um maybe one of the pcs can't find their keys or whatever maybe um you see something really cool maybe you're on a boat trip and you see like whales maybe there's just like a lot of t- turbulence or some really heavy waves I have some vivid memories of a really in- inadvisable uh, time where my brother and I were on a boat and it was just like really rocking back and forth to the point where we would like literally slide, but we wanted to play in the arcade, dang it, and we were gonna stay in there. <laughs> it was a pretty exciting time. Um, just like, Maybe, like a random roadside statue or something that stands out that's like oh that's notable that's that's really nice um honestly the the random encounter charts can be a godsend here. you don't have to fight everything you roll, like mm-hmm. even if you roll up a chimera, you don't have to fight it maybe the p c s just see it flying overhead mm-hmm. or you know um maybe just like pouncing around in the trees. They don't have to interact with it. But it's still something interesting that they see along the way, and that reminds them that they're not just on an empty road. There are things out there, and those things don't necessarily care about the PCs or whatever's going on, um, but also reminds them that you know there are monsters in this world. They might fight something like this or down the road. Um, but they don't necessarily have to fight it right then and there.
1: I and I, Eleanor had a, a a really good point earlier too that I kind of want to draw back to for this question. I guess one of the things I think about sometimes when I'm jamming is like, mood beats. And so like, let's say they travel. Yeah, you could go through every piece of that. Or I could say, okay, I want them to feel confused. I want them to feel terrified. And I want them to feel happy. And then you just pick, three. Three sort of things that you think are on that road, almost like you're just kind of mapping the, the moods to the actual map and so you know I, since we're talking about movies we like mm-hmm. I, one of my favorite films is No Country for Old Men and I love how in the beginning of that Josh Brolin's character is just walking in this uncomfortable desert and you don't really know why at first and it 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 builds that suspense and that uneasiness well you could do the same thing with a desert you know that's got some oncrobs waiting for you mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. and just and it's going to build that terror and suspense and they're like well we just wanted to walk through the desert why am i why is it dark like yeah. get that mad max like why is there a swirling dust storm in the <laughs> distance like what's what's going on and you can just build that uncomfortability and then if you want to sort of you know kind of have some emotional up and down maybe then they find a, a you know that happy one is like a, a spring filled with water and life and verdancy. you know green and light and mm-hmm. sunlight and make and give them an upbeat after your terrifying one so yeah i don't know champagne fire hose yeah yeah champagne yeah, fire hose right. <laughs>
0: uh, so we have a tw- question from twitch uh, user chaotic cauldron uh when do you think it's preferable to use a uh, theater of the mind or
4: when you'd use a physical representation of a scene to get players more into it, like which is preferable so, in what kind of circumstance?
1: Great question. Yeah. Uh,
3: certainly, keep in. We can all keep in mind that players have been trained to expect certain things. When you pull out a mat and put some minis on it, <laughs> uh, you can use that, you know, for or against them. Like if you want to really ratchet up the tension. You can put them all on a battle mat and have like something really nasty just walking by, see if they panic and attack it, see if they just run and hide, and even if you don't intend for that thing to even like notice them. Uh, because they've all been trained that oh no we're on a battle map he's gonna try and kill us, um, <laughs> but uh, and and certainly theater of the mind definitely leaves them in the more of a oh we're probably safe right now, so that's a, a tool you can use to uh, sort of play with the the scene play with expectations, um, just keeping in mind what. The the sort of way you are conveying it is um, sort of suggesting um, is gonna happen versus what you intend.
2: It doesn't take much either. You, I mean, you know, a horror game or a deep moody game. You know, you think in your head, "Well, I need a crystal ball. I need like a bunch of uh, candelabras and stuff." If you put a single candle in the middle of the table and turn off one of the lights, you usually, you know, you just unscrew the bulb. Uh, then that's enough. I mean, people will understand. They'll cling onto that. They'll be like, "Well, there's well, Ryan doesn't usually have a candle on the table or whatever." Um, you know, so it doesn't really take much at all. Um, yeah. Yeah, put a slight hint of a loved one that died last year, single, flickering in the flames, yeah, and now you've
1: got a totally different slice sa- of ham. Yeah, yeah, um, or yeah, yeah a ham and a candle. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> an egg. But <laughs> yeah, I, for me, I use theater of the mind almost always more. But like, I just do it for speed. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer, and I I've loved. Eleanor's answer of well I'm just going to put a battle map out and watch them mm-hmm. squirm that's fun too so mm-hmm.
3: yeah from a mechanical just like system standpoint the theater of the mind is good for uh less precise uh more pc interactive scenes uh just uh even things you don't necessarily want to be clear Especially like horror. If there's things in the darkness and you have out a battle mat, well, your PCs can probably just make a spot check and see right where they are. And yeah. then you have to put like some Wraith minis on the table. And it's not quite as scary anymore. Whereas, you know, that battle mat is good for precision. Like, if the whole point is that you're hunting for something and trying to figure out where it is, then that battle mat is very helpful as opposed to, you know, theater of the mind where it's like, well, it's over there somewhere Mm -hmm. in a tree. Well, what tree? Which tree? Is it an aspen tree? I don't know. I don't whatever. Um, So that's another thing to keep in mind when you're choosing which tool to use for the scene.
0: How do you handle when
3: uh, different characters in the scene have different Perceptions of what that scene is like and you mentioned darkness when some characters can see further in the darkness than others can I mean, how do you you know reconcile that
1: I have a I have a, a, a Blind player character in my Starfinder game and I often find myself thinking about what details they need to make things interesting and to be compelling and I've never given so many descriptions. So they have we've kind of created our, our own alien uh, uh, Sort of species for that game We wanted to place basically at this race that was like clinging to their last bit of existence on the edge of a black hole and Wanted wanted so much of the and so they they have grav sense as like a blind sense And so that species sees through gravitational forces and, and I've never had to describe more things in the sense of how much they weigh Um than in that game. But it's it's fun because it it's just another way of thinking about it. Like, uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll be like, so there's something extremely heavy in the center of the room and, and all the other characters know, oh, that's just a column, but like sometimes that will. Or there's something extremely heavy in the center of the room, but you detect just a small impression right in the center of it. Well, that none of the sighted folks could see that, right? And so um, I think I think you just want to sprinkle in, and I mean, maybe I'll have better ideas, but but I guess personally having some experience with that, I just try to tailor it to everyone, you know, so I'm, I might sometimes even give two descriptions quickly, or, um, but I mean, personally, I, I want diversity in my games and in my party, and I, I want people to feel like they can play all sorts of different types of characters and people should feel included,
2: so that's the approach I take. I think quickly describing the scene to each Player, if they're, you know, dark vision, great example. Sure. Um, you know, if I'm playing a dwarf or whatever and can see underground and it's like, oh yeah, I know these caverns, I know these halls, um, I would want the GM to describe that to me differently than the elf the cosmopolitan elf who ruins cooked beans or whatever um you know uh uh, and i think just quickly kind of doing that for each player saying you know like oh you see down these dank musty halls uh they remind you of your forefathers you know catacombs blah 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 uh you see at the far end of flickering light um quickly to the dwarf and then to the elf like this is a really spooky hall you've never been in something so dark it's a little clammy in here too and it smells like uh you know dead fish and um you know completely different but like it's it also opens them up to playing into that as uh, they're different characters. You know, They're going to have different experiences, so you should describe them differently.
3: Yeah, I tend to like to play uh, play by post games online, which obviously makes that sort of thing a little easier. You can just do separate messages for the PCs. Um, but in just a tabletop, you don't really want to bog it down. Based on, you know, maybe one person has dark vision or only one person doesn't have dark vision Mm -hmm. because they decide to play a human and everybody makes fun of them. Um, (laughs) But um, I think in some ways that's just something you are going to have to offer trust to your players for and focus on whoever has the most interesting perception or the best perception as the one who's going to be sort of leading that scene. Um, because uh, just trying to get too into it or leading them into different rooms is is just uh, sort of a logistical nightmare. Um, And it's one of those things that really sounds great on paper, if you can pull it off, but nobody can. So um, just consider things, like definitely tell uh, people how they see the scene, but understand that they're probably gonna focus on, whoever has the most interesting perception of the scene, and go from there.
2: And it doesn't need to happen each time. It's kind of like the travel thing. You, know, you pick and choose which times you want this to, to happen. If they're in the middle of a field, everyone can probably see, You know, even if one person has a better perception. It's, it decide if you want to hone
3: in on that. Yeah, we have One more question, if anybody has a question. Do you guys are, like using like auditory cues, like music, sound effects, that kind of thing to help set the scene for the people who are like
1: really auditory in that kind of way? And how would you do that and what would you use? I'm an auditory person and I, I love that. I, and I mean, I, I know like I think Sirenscape, I think a lot of those types of products out there that, that really create a, an awesome mood are great if, if you feel like that's what you want to bring to the table. But like we were talking about in the Ask the Jams panel earlier, like don't... You don't have to do things that you feel uncomfortable with, though, you know, like some people don't really want to sort of play like stage manager, you know, with all the sound cues and stuff like that. But me, I used to be a stage manager at a community theater, so I like that Mm -hmm. and I feel comfortable doing it. But I think you just need to think about like what your players will like to, but also what you feel comfortable with and um, and utilizing, you know, the, the, the sort of types of tools but i mean i like being an auditory person and i'm pretty somatic too i love to you know pound on the table like amanda earlier was like you know like you can do a lot with your hands sometimes too just to set uh, a little bit of that mood so yeah I, I think that's useful
2: absolutely and you can always enlist a helper too as uh you know it, it can be confused it's like oh hold up my my mac fell asleep i need to like Get to the right youtube video that's awful um always you know have a buddy say like okay when i do this you know like hit the button um and you know and tell them like you're gonna build up and you know let one per- person in on it i think that's a great tip um and youtube everything I, was, I don't know like or sirenscape or whatever but there's so much out there you know i just type in epic battle music and then like hit that when the battle starts and people are like oh battle time um uh, yeah.
3: Yeah, there's a lot of good um computer and online tools for that sort of thing, uh YouTube playlists, Pandora playlists, uh that sort of thing. And of course in your home game, you're probably not worrying about copyright infringement. Um it, it's it's sort of up to the GM as per their ability to, you know, get it done again in some some people just may not have the time, may get caught up in other things. Maybe they're not a particular music officiando. Um they can you can definitely ask uh players who are to help out, uh you know, just going off the mood thing. So, find me some creepy music, find me some sad music, find me like a jubilee sort of uh festival music. That kind of thing. Same with like doing like squeaky voices. Uh, I know like lots of GMs have fun doing that. Uh, some GMs probably are just like ah. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, it's 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 sort of a it's a great thing, definitely uh, definitely recommend it. But you know sometimes people just can't or don't have the time, or it's not something that they're not an auditory person. Um, definitely, if you like that sort of thing, you can volunteer to step in with just music and that thing, finding sound effects. Uh, there's a lot of great free resources online uh, these days if you look for them. So, um, yeah, that's that's definitely something that can be uh, spruced up in your game.
1: Well, looks like we're probably uh, at the, the end of our, our time then. I um, want to thank my colleagues, uh, Eleanor and Patrick. Uh, I, hope, I hope this was helpful uh, as far as learning a little bit about um, what we as professionals think about scene and setting and, and what we think as DMs, to, or GM, excuse me, um, too. So uh, I hope that was, that was helpful. And if you have any questions or anything like that, a couple of us will probably still be around, too. Feel free to come up, say hi, whatever you want to do. So thanks so much for coming. Really appreciate it. Thank you, everybody.
4: and welcome back i have here with me uh patrick one of the developers over at paizo uh, he works on the pathfinder line and i've heard a bit about the extinction the new uh, adventure path that was announced what can you tell us about that
2: extinction curse extinction adventure curse. path that's right that'll be coming out uh beginning of next year okay uh, cool. that follows the age of ashes adventure path and basically it uh uh, takes you to the Isle of Cortos, the same island where Absalom is, mm-hmm. the biggest city in the world of Pathfinder. And uh, and you're you're part of a traveling circus, which is kind oh, of a, yes. a fun thing we haven't done yet, I can't believe. Oh my gosh, um, I have
4: heard of this. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, It yeah. sets up a theme for your group, makes character uh-huh. creation easier. Like, what do I want to do it in a circus? It makes sense
2: why you're traveling. You know, that's always mm-hmm. one of the things. It's like, why are we going from these places? And it's like, mm-hmm. well, yeah, but the show must go on, right? That's so, right. Yeah. So we're really excited about that. And just, uh, you know, every time we do it, new adventure path we get to learn about something totally new and I, mm-hmm. I didn't know a lot about circus culture or you know, vaudevillian <laughs> stuff so it's sure. it's fun to learn about that and okay, uh okay. and then uh you know the main uh, sort of uh, enemy that you'll be facing throughout mm-hmm. this adventure path is the zolgaths uh oh, formerly okay. what we've been uh would have been called troglodytes in previous editions so mm-hmm. we haven't made that a uh you know big enemy yet sure in, games yet, so that'll be that.
4: That will be cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, Tying into what we are just talking about, setting, Mm -hmm. how does this adventure path and its setting inform the sorts of adventures that Players will be taking and PCs will be going on.
2: Oh, well, that's a great question because I mean the circus mm-hmm. uh, does take up like a, a, a big you know. When you say it's going to be circus AP players are going to expect you know they're going to want to play in a certain way, right? Mm-hmm. They're going to be like, well, I'm the guy who gets a cannonball you know shoot it in my chest and I can live, and uh, or I'm the trapeze artist, you mm-hmm. know. They want to play a certain way, so um, the adventure bath is definitely going to play into those and give players new options, mm-hmm. circus themed you know items, feats, mm-hmm. spells, stuff like that that. Makes a uh, make a, a pop at the performance itself as well as are useful in you know the adventuring context mm-hmm. the uh, exploring the catacombs and stuff like that it's like oh I know a firework spell perfect I can you know light uh, up the room or whatever right and it's not just good for the circus it's good for you know their sure. side job too <laughs> which is saving the world fantastic yeah. yeah
4: I think it'll be really interesting to see uh, like what a fantasy circus looks like because yeah. we know the real world circuses with their various problems uh, but like a fantasy <laughs> circus and an idyllic one I assume uh, yes uh, is like well what can I do now that we introduce magic into it because uh-huh. there's there's a, a circus which shows you the wonderful but uh-huh. now it's like now it's just the wondrous yeah. right? it's like okay we're adding magic and there's so many more things
2: and that's the that's a that's a big part of it too it's like uh-huh. in a world where magic is prevalent uh-huh. and common almost you mm-hmm. know how do you make uh you know, you can't just do prestidigitation as right. at your magic show. People are gonna be like, oh I've yeah, seen whatever. that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, my cousin can do that. Um, you know. <laughs> whereas, you know, so what what kinds of things we do we have? And so I'll be doing the back matter uh, development par- portion of that okay. that involves monsters and uh, new rules and uh, and
4: uh, maybe some performative spells exactly or spells yeah, and okay. articles and very all cool. sorts of
2: stuff kind of playing into the adventure path. Whereas Ron Lundeen is developing the adventure text itself. So I see. Okay. Uh, so some of the monsters that I've been uh, uh, assigning mm-hmm. to authors have been very they've been very fun to come up with because they're right. totally kind of out there. So right. one of them, for instance, is a, a neon. Uh, I didn't call it neon because neon's a little <laughs> futuristic, but like a neon uh, ooze. You know, it's like oh, okay. a thing you might put in a uh, in a glass chandelier or ornament or something and it's like just kind of a disco ball, but oh, a fantasy cool. fantasy yeah. disco ball, but it's an ooze, so don't we, let it out.
4: <laughs> so you have like a long like glass vial maybe shaped with exactly. an ooze in it that like irradiates. The yeah, it's yeah. really cool. So that's man. like an
2: example of the circus, you know, like that would be what you would find in a in a fantasy circus, right? You would find creatures that are not only magical but awesome to look at. With too. some
4: outperformative tools. Yeah, yeah. That's wonderful. I can't wait to get a chance to play that. Uh, I hope you guys get a chance to play it too. And uh, Uh, Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks,
2: Vanessa. appreciate it.
4: All right. Well, we have one more panel coming up today, so stay tuned.
0: And that was part of No Direction's
4: 2019
0: Gen Con seminar coverage in partnership with Paizo. If you'd like to find more great content like this, go to nodirectionpodcast.com. We'd like to thank our Patreon supporters for making content like this possible. If you would like to support the network and see that future content is created, you can do so at patreon.com slash nodirection or click on the Patreon link at nodirectionpodcast.com.